Hello and welcome to another episode of Roy's Cast, the official podcast of the Ridings of Yorkshire Society. We're your hosts, Johnny Farley and Sam Wright, and today we're joined by YouTuber and filmmaker Catherine War. Hello, Catherine. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Great. Yeah, we've been we've been planning this episode for a little while, so it's really good to to finally get around to it. Um, to start us off, why don't you tell us a bit about your background, about what got you into history, and what got you into uh, making your your videos. What, what sort of sparked that interest? Right, well, history has, in a way, always been a part of my life. I was always visiting different places when I was a kid. I was always reading history books. I didn't actually do history at uni. Um, didn't really do it at A-levels either, because I, I got too low a score at GCSE. So history has always been been something I've been interested in, even if I didn't pursue it academically. And when I was in uni, I sort of realised that there wasn't anyone really doing Yorkshire history. So I thought, oh, well, I could do that. So that was just something that I did in my spare time, uh, just as a hobby. and didn't do it very much. And then after a couple of years, when I realised that I couldn't really function in the normal world of the nine to five, I was like, well, what else can I do? Well, I, I have this history thing, so I'll do that. And then now I'm here. So I work part time for the British Association for Local History as the digital content coordinator, making uh, podcasts and videos uh, and various online content. And then I, I've written my book on Yorkshire folklore, customs and traditions, and I'm continuing to make my videos. Great. Yeah. Um, it, I find it really interesting what you were sort of saying about the non academic angle and and it's something that we sort of we really look for with Roy's is is bringing those two worlds together of, of sort of your traditional academia but also the people um like yourself and, and like some of our other attendees of conferences and speakers that have come at it from this completely opposite angle almost um of doing you know the, the same sort of research the same sort of work but approaching it from a from a place of of just pure interest and and, and nothing else i think that's it's really a really good point um so you sort of talked a bit about when you started making videos um what what are some of your some of your favorites some of your top your top hits as it were in, in your opinion not not in you know any other metric just just what what have you had the most fun doing about yorkshire well, I mean, there's there's about 129 on the now, so to pick out the greatest hits is a bit of a challenge. But the, there's there's a few which I definitely had a lot of fun making. More recently, the Pirate Trilogy, which is about uh, myths about pirates and why you know brutal criminals are now romanticised anti-establishment heroes. Uh, that was a lot of fun because we built a whole set. We had the introduction of Skelly, a little skeleton into the uh, Cath cinematic universe. Um, and that was, just, that was just a lot of fun to put together. There's other ones as well. Um, the Western series, which we'll come to later, that obviously was a lot of fun. Um, ones as well, which I'm I'm quite sort of proud of the way we, we presented the information. So... The, I did one on uh, Jack Dupree, who was a New Orleans blues musician who lived in Halifax for 20 years. Now, what brings someone from New Orleans to Halifax? 
And so we went, we found a jazz club, like a, a nightclub, and decided we're going to film it there. And then we got an actor to to say like excerpts from interviews so that it was actually his word speaking. And although the video isn't great, you know, I look back at it and I think, oh, could have done that differently. I'm still quite proud of how we took something which was a fairly unknown topic and, and told the story quite creatively. Yeah, I think that for me that brings up an interesting point about about how you how you go about creating videos as well. Because one thing when you watch when you watch your content is one thing that immediately jumps out is sort of you can see your personality in in that content. So I think I wanted to ask a bit more about how how important you felt when you started to make videos. It was to 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 put yourself in that in those stories, if you like, to try and I don't know find a different way of conveying that historical story through using your personality in it rather than just sort of, you know, script or something like that? that that's a very good question because when I started off in the first couple of years, I hadn't really found my, my own voice. So my very earliest videos, which are very, very bad, they feel very colour by numbers. I was in a way sort of conforming to what I I thought people would want to, to hear. Um, they don't really have a particular personal touch those videos and it was it was very sort of kind of non-personal it could have been made by anyone and then as time went on I started to put my own personal flair into it and now that's part of the whole package so for the past couple of videos a big thing we've been doing is having like cinematic intros just 30 seconds or a minute you know a little bit of silliness a bit of setting the scene but something which is very different and very identifiable as saying okay this is a video by me that you're going to watch and also in terms of the way we uh way i script it because before it used to just be fairly simple regurgitation of facts and then once i began to get a bit more confident in front of the camera I began to develop my individual presenting voice and I could make jokes and, and, you know, present the facts a little differently. And so now I, I feel quite comfortable in developing that presentational style, which I think is, is quite recognizably me and part of the brand. And that's what's important. And do you think it's, it's made maybe some of those stories that people have come to your videos to watch more accessible in a way? So it's, it's not just because I mean, one of the things that we've said about Roy's is, you know, trying to break down that traditional Ivy Tower perspective of, of like academic history. So I suppose in your, I know, in, in your opinion, does sort of that personality help you break down those barriers as well and make that content more accessible? Absolutely. I've had a load of comments from people saying that, you know, they've clicked on a video and it's a topic that wouldn't normally interest them, but I've made it interesting and the way I've presented it has has made it interesting. And that's a great compliment because that's what every historian wants to hear, that, you know, the, the topic might not initially appeal to people, but you've managed to present it in such a way that it becomes interesting. And it's all to do with how you present the facts. I had a lecturer at uni uh, for a module on the Cold War. Now, I love the Cold War, right? Fascinating period. But he was so boring that he made the Cold War boring. Imagine making the Cold War boring. But that was just because he was very dry. 
and very boring to listen to. And so absolutely, the way you present information can have a tremendous impact on how accessible that information is and how engaged people are going to be with it. I think just um, building on from that, I don't suppose you know like where what your target sort of demographic has been or what who are the people that most often come back to the, to the videos and what, what kind of market this way of delivering history reaches, I suppose. That was another question that I sort of had. Yeah, it's... It's interesting because it, I get a very broad range of people. Um, the statistics YouTube gives on your audience isn't very accurate. It claims that I have a 95% male audience, which I don't quite believe because there's definitely more women who watch. But from what I've seen of the comments, it is a real broad church of people who watch. There's younger people, there's older people. Uh, people around the world whose uh, ancestors might have emigrated from Yorkshire, uh, people who have no connection, but they simply enjoy the way I present the information. Um, it's it's a real variety of people, um, different age groups, different backgrounds. It is a little bit tricky, I, I must admit, because naturally the, the content is, go- is going to appeal to an older demographic. Even though I, you know, I'm a younger person and I have a lot of jokes and references which appeal to younger people, which older people don't necessarily get. And it's difficult when you have got such a broad audience to be able to appeal to all of them, but you can't really appeal to everyone. So you you just have to make the best of the content you have and then hope that as many people can enjoy it as possible. Yeah, and I I think sort of building on that point and on a, a previous point about your personal voice that comes through, and I think, yeah, having a voice that has some universal appeal in how you're presenting information is really key. And I imagine that is something that came through in your book that you published recently. Um, so yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about, about that, about what inspired it, uh, what the process was like, how it sort of went from, from thought to uh, being available in, in the shops. Sure. So I actually got the idea uh, completely out of the blue. Um, As the story goes, I was on a bus one morning and I was thinking about the book The English Year by Steve Rood, which is a brilliant book. It's it's very similar uh, because it's got all English traditions and customs. But I was thinking about how it only really covered major festivals It didn't cover every single day of the year. And I thought, oh, well, if someone wrote a book which did that, oh, I could do that. And because my parents are hoarders and they have about 500 books on Yorkshire, I thought, oh, well, I might as well do it about Yorkshire. And so pretty much immediately I got the idea and was convinced, right, this is what I'm going to do. And so I, I literally just got out as many books as I could find on Yorkshire, got out as much information, regurgitated it all onto a Word document, combing through these antiquarian out-of-print books, finding as much as I could, and then slotting it into the relevant days. So, you know, stuff which is easy, like Easter or Christmas or Saints' Days, uh, putting them in there things which had particular anniversaries on days doing them, ones which didn't have a particular temporal marker put in wherever. And then just writing about three or four 
days per working day and just you know chipping away at it and after about three months of writing I was like halfway through and I was like right I better start thinking about how to get this published so I started shopping around and after a couple of rejections um, I was taken on by Carnegie who really were intrigued by the idea and and by someone so young with my platform writing a book so so they accepted it and then it took about three more months to finish writing it and the actual process of writing was was quite easy to be honest it's not like writing essays um it was it was very much a, a case of uh, finding the information maybe doing some cross-referencing if I wasn't sure you know if there's some links I found and then just packaging it into a concise little paragraph that you can read for each day and you know that's pretty much the whole process you know towards the end it was a little bit tough because you've got to fill a whole year and a leap year and you know you you can't use traditions which are too broad things which you know everyone in the country would do it's got to have some connection to Yorkshire and then you've got to find the pictures but generally it was it was a very enjoyable experience writing it um and Oh, yeah, I completely forgot to mention. So I started writing it in October 2020. Uh, so it got accepted January 2021, was finished about March that year. And then just over the next few years was proofs and edits and then just getting it ready until June 2023 when it finally came out. I think just listening to that there you mentioned that there's there was a book that was about more like english folklore that in sort of inspired the first sort of ideas and i was wondering having now you've now researched the yorkshire sort of angle how different some of those maybe traditions that you'd seen in in the english book or seen across england more widely how different some of those end up being when they get to yorkshire and how how different or how prevalent yorkshire identity is in that and how it changes you know those sorts of events and if you'd come across any of those sorts of examples it's it's interesting it's it's a sort of question i get asked a lot as to you know is it is yorkshire unique and i've i've got to say it's only unique to people who want to make it unique you know it from what i've researched it doesn't matter what crazy thing someone was doing 200 years ago someone else was doing something crazier in another part of the country and in terms of like common commonality among the the customs sure there's things which are you know unique to yorkshire um you know certain things which only were performed in those particular areas but there's there's nothing which is thoroughly i think you know only yorkshire so even so things like rush bearing which is uh you know summer autumn festival where you collect up the old rushes in church floors or nowadays you just build these big rush carts that's that's done in yorkshire but it's also done in saddleworth so that's greater manchester now it used to be yorkshire uh, also also done in parts of lancashire in well dressing we associate that generally with derbyshire uh, but it, it creeps into a little bit of south yorkshire in peniston so from from what i researched Yes, there were there were traditions which uh, were sort of unique to Yorkshire, but in terms of if it carved out an identity, I I don't I don't think so. I didn't really get involved with all that kind of thing. 
Um, anyone who sort of followed me for a while knows that I, I kind of go away from that all A up white rose, God's own country thing. That's not my brand. Um, but something which which was interesting and which I made a concerted effort is we have a tendency to tweify customs in that a tradition's only a tradition if it's a couple of hundred years old. And so if you look at something like sword dancing, which is uh, done in Yorkshire, done in Northumberland and the Northeast as well. Now, that's very obviously a tradition, right? It's it's a ceremonial dance with swords hundreds of years old. There's no doubt about it. That's a tradition. But why is it that we assume that that's a tradition, but not something like the West Indian Carnival, which is one of the oldest carnivals in Europe uh, started in the 1960s in Leeds. Now that's been going for generations. It's very meaningful, um, but we wouldn't necessarily automatically assume that to be a, a tradition. Similarly, there's there's a load of charity events which have started up past few decades. Things like the Gawthorpe Coal Carrying Race or the Oxenhope Straw Race, which is all things about you know carrying something heavy around the village and then doing it for charity and having a few pints. Most people wouldn't necessarily classify them as traditional customs, but actually they are, because all a custom is, is a meaningful activity practiced by a, a group for generations. And so what I was trying to do is I was trying to have a more expansive view of, of what these traditions are. And so what I what I found is that there's a load of these more contemporary traditions, which are, you know, very firmly part of Yorkshire life and heritage, but which often get overlooked because they're not hundreds of years old. Uh, so I've sort of witted on there, but hopefully you get my point. Oh, yeah. And um, you, another really interesting point sort of comes out with that. You mentioned how these traditions that are seen as being from Yorkshire kind of bleed through into other areas like the uh, Derbyshire, South Yorkshire, and then the, the Manchester region and um northumbria northumbria and things like that and how well a, a really interesting thing is you as you look at yorkshire through through history and it's it's something that we've all looked at in our capacity of doing our phds and things like that mine in the roman era uh, adams in the medieval period things like that is how nothing is as solid as we think it is now there's there's no boundaries that are set in stone and what you're saying there about these more modern uh, events these traditions that have, have started up in the last 100 years or so and how there's a bit of a it's, it sounds like there's a bit of a cultural divide as to why they're not considered yorkshire traditions and um whether that's something that you you think you found in it you saw in a lot of other of these cases is this idea of the people that are creating these traditions and are deciding these traditions aren't fitting the mold of you your white rose yorkshire your greyhounds and, and whippets and things and how it's more of a, of a bleed through of, of different cultures. Yeah, it's very amorphous um, in like what is what what is Yorkshire and what is a, a tradition, and I think it's just a product of I don't I don't know if the word prejudice is is the right word, but it, this idea that folklore and customs is just something very quaint and twee and something you read in in history books about something that happened hundreds of years ago, and actually it's. It's all around us and we're constantly creating traditions. Uh, I played sports at uni in Bradford. Every single sports team, and this, this, this is the same for every university across the UK, has its own distinct traditions. 
even if it's the same university, there's different customs within those teams that define them and that group identity as different from everyone else. But we have this idea that it just has to be about fairies or about maypole dancing. And that's what traditions is. And it's kind of this antiquarian thing when actually traditions are all around us. Yeah, well, well, exactly. Like you sort of think of big, big traditions in the UK and it's sort of uh, Morris dancing and, and things like that. And in Yorkshire alone, we've got some incredibly multicultural cities and there seems to be no uh accepting of these newer influences uh sort of on on the traditions on on the culture um and whether that's something that i don't know needs to be explored in a more in-depth podcast at another time um but no it, it sounds like the the book kind of really helped you sort of see these 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 cultural bleed throughs and and how things have shifted and how things are as you say perceived as tradition if they are you know 200 years old 300 years old have some mysticism to them and almost this kind of uh deification of the of the yorkshire countryside like god's own mm. um and how much that impacts how yorkshire's sort of seen by both yorkshiremen and, and, and yorkshire people but also by people from outside of the county yeah i mean it's, it's very interesting because i mean this makes for a whole other topic because it ties into the problem which is the construction of identities so when people talk about, you know, the God's own country and then have this rolling image of the Dales, well, you know, intellectually, I recognise that as Yorkshire, you know, it is within these boundaries. It's it's part of that that idea. But that isn't my Yorkshire because I've never lived there. I might have driven through it on holiday or on days out, but my Yorkshire is is very urban. My Yorkshire is Leeds and Bradford and these very dense industrial towns with you know with these dirty golden brown buildings and things my idea of what yorkshire is is very different from this tea towel clotted cream souvenir postcard collection and you know it, it's it's all about how we we construct these particular identities similar to how people the idea of englishness is cricket on the village green but how many of us act actually live in an area where you can play cricket on the village green that's a that's a really really good point and as as you said and as, as we said it's a it's quite a, a big topic for a for another episode um <laughs> however uh that does give me a, a really good segue here talking about cr- constructed image and the reality versus the imaginary and how that relates to one of your recent videos that you've published one of your your latest works on western cinema yeah and 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 westerns so if you could just talk us talk to us a bit quickly about where that came from because i know that you've touched on on how much you like doing yorkshire research and how that really got you your start but a bit about how you have branched out into international history and cultural history as as opposed to just sticking with yorkshire yeah absolutely so last year i went through a rebrand because i began to feel constricted in the you know, why do I just have to do Yorkshire history? There's a whole world of history out there to explore. And it was beginning to feel a little bit a bit annoying how everyone would expect me to, to be this particular type of Yorkshire historian when that's not really what I wanted to do. So I started to expand into a lot broader topics. Uh, I looked at British baseball in the 1930s. I looked at pirates. And more recently, 
uh, I looked at British Western filmmaking. And this is a great demonstration of how I get my ideas because I had no idea about it before. And I was watching the miniseries, The English, which is highly recommended. I actually mention it in my video. And right at the end, it said that the world's first Western film was made in Blackburn. I was like, whoa, no way. Really? This is going to be a great video. And I just knew instantly I can make a video about that. So I started researching and it's it's really fascinating thing because it opens a window into so much social history. So why would the Victorians make a Wild West film in Blackburn in 1899? Well, there's there's a couple different strands here, which I go into on the video, but it's all involving the cotton industry, uh, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, sort of Victorian, uh, I don't think Orient Orientalism is the right word, but the Victorian fascination with uh, frontier and civilization. And then as I was doing this research, I realized, right, well, this is, this is great, uh, but we need to go further because obviously we associate Westerns with Hollywood, with Clint Eastwood and John Wayne, but the genre has always seeped through that particular time. The genre is worldwide. So what about British Westerns? And I discovered um, this, this really interesting sort of dynamic where British westerns which we call roast beef westerns aren't that great they're kind of low budget copycats but th there's a really great legacy of basically empire westerns which is when british filmmakers went to commonwealth countries to make westerns set there so this is in canada in india uh, south africa australia uh and it, so it's all of these different cultural influences making films which are distinctly British. But Britain was also ahead of the curve in satirising the Western. We think of Blazing Saddles as the first Western satire, but actually Carry On did it first. So, yeah, it's this big, uh, big series of videos that we're doing and finishing it off with a parody of the song Convoy, but about cowboy films. And... I just had so much fun making it because it was it was about something which is very uh, underappreciated, but which ties deeply into into history and all doing it with maximum silliness. Yeah, no, and uh, I mean it's a really good point you make. I think, I mean, in my opinion, the most famous westerns are all made by Italians. So, <laughs> it's uh, you, you know, we we the Europeans beat them at their own game. Um, sort of touching briefly while we've still got a bit of time uh, on these British Western films, do you think there's some bleed through of films, maybe with Western sensibilities, but about British topics? So like Zulu and oh, uh, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Like this kind of taking those, those staples of, of, you know, the, the Western, but throwing them over onto a, a very British story. Yeah. So I, I have a segment which argues that Lawrence of Arabia actually has a lot of western themes uh people are free to disagree you know it's just one sort of uh, interpretation of the film and how sort of in the 1960s there's a lot of these films set in uh, empire territories like india which have you know the bleed throughs of western themes and looking at more more modern british westerns because we don't make westerns anymore there are a couple of them which actually are set in britain 
but which can be interpreted as westerns. Uh, so one of them I, I talked about is the film God's Own Country, which is set in Yorkshire. And it is it's basically the British Brokeback Mountain because it's about a Dale's sheep farmer who hires a migrant worker and then, you, you know, it stuff happens. Uh, but that's really interesting because it's taking a genre and a setting and a topic which wouldn't, you know, naturally be associated with with British and perhaps Yorkshire filmmaking and putting it into that setting. Uh, it's worth mentioning, I wasn't a huge fan of the film, um, but I can see why others would appreciate it. So it's it's worth talking about. Um, there's, there's obviously British films which are straightforward westerns. Uh, Slow West, I talk about as well. Also the miniseries, The English. But really the point I was trying to make is that something doesn't have to have cowboy hats and Native Americans uh, to be a Western, that the genre really has sort of worldwide appeal because it has these universal themes which you can make for any uh, setting or topic. So you can have some rugged wilderness in the moors and that would be a Western if, you know. So that's that's kind of something that I was really interested in communicating. Yeah, no, it's, it all sounds really really interesting i suppose it's interesting to talk about talk about how initially maybe you felt a bit restricted over just focusing on yorkshire and how you've really enjoyed branching out so i suppose what i wanted to do as, as sort of a couple of final questions what can people look forward to seeing now that you want to sort of branch out what kind of exciting things have you got got coming up great uh so the next project we're working on is about war of the worlds because you know classic sci-fi novel change the genre but nobody adapts it right for film or tv Uh, it all misses a crucial theme which is colonialism because the notoriously political writer hg wells a lifelong socialist uh, pacifist human rights advocate twice stood as labor candidate the novel is very clearly a critique of british colonialism but this doesn't sell a lot of films especially if you're Steven Spielberg and you want to make 9-11 with aliens. So basically, that's what we're working on next. And then we're probably going to take a bit of a break whilst we focus on on different things, lots of secret, exciting projects. But there's always something different I'm working on, always something interesting, something which you might not have considered, but which you're going to be entertained by. And, you know, anything I find interesting, I'll make a video about. Great. I suppose that leads us on just to a final question is where can people find this exciting content that's going to come out soon if they if they weren't aware of where to find it first and also where can they buy the book more importantly I suppose yeah so you can uh, google Catherine War also on YouTube and then all the links come up uh, again if you search a Yorkshire year that'll come up as well you can buy it directly from the publisher at Carnegie Publishing for a discount and it's also available in some local bookshops. So, you know, go ahead. Great. Uh, yeah. Th- thank you very much for that, Catherine. It's a really, really good episode. Uh, really good chatting to you. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for today. So, um, yeah, th- thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, and, okay, that that's the end of another episode of Roy's Cast. Uh, thank you for, for listening, and we'll see you at the next one.